0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here with us today, whether you're joining us in person or online. My name's James. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Faith, and this is week two of a series that we're doing called Finding Happiness. Now, happiness is pretty much a universal desire. I mean, even our founding fathers in the U.S., they wrote it into the Declaration of Independence. You know, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, say what you will about them, but they understood everyone wants to be happy. Well, if everyone wants to be happy, then why is it that so many people aren't? In this series, that's what we're exploring. We are looking at what the Bible and modern science teaches us about where we can find true and lasting happiness. And in case you're wondering... We've based this series off of three different resources. We're um, using a, a series from North Point Church, a book by Max Licato, and another book by Henry Cloud. So if you're sitting there today and you're like, wow, Pastor James, that was really insightful. I probably stole it, just saying. <laughs> so how many of you have ever said to someone, hey, if it makes you happy? It's, it's a pretty common phrase, isn't it? We usually use it when someone tells us something that we think is strange. We don't want to tell them that we think they're weird, so we say, hey, whatever makes you happy. You know, Meredith and I, we love going to the Renaissance Festival, and yeah, we got a couple fans. She, she likes the jousting. She likes the guy who brings his birds of prey. Uh, she likes all the cool artisan crafts, and I like to watch the weirdos. And uh, <laughs> last time we were at the Renaissance Festival, there was this guy walking around he wasn't just dressed in his elaborate costume. He was literally going about his day pretending to be his character. He was in full costume. He was talking in a fake accent. He was walking around the streets of the Renaissance Festival interacting people. He was saying things like, "Hail, hey, fellow, how dost thou turkey leg favor thy taste buds today? It was weird. He was super into it. So um, it was so strange to me. That I thought to myself, I wonder if that guy works here and is just like, it's his job to bring some flavor to the Renaissance Festival, or if he's someone that just really takes this character thing seriously. So I turned to my group of friends that I was there with and I said, Hey, do you think he works here, or do you think he's just really into it? And they all said, Ah, oh, I was wondering the same exact thing about that guy. So I responded, Hey, whatever makes him happy. Well, here's the problem with that statement. We as humans are notoriously bad at figuring out what makes us happy. In fact, we're not just notoriously bad at, what figure, at figuring out what truly makes us happy, but when left to our own devices, we have this habit of pursuing happiness in a way that literally ends up undermining it. I know you've probably seen it a hundred times for yourself, someone is doing something that they think will make them happy, but in reality, all they're doing is setting themselves up for future misery. Here's another question for you. Out of all of the people on Earth, who has the greatest potential to undermine your happiness? Is it your boss? Nope. Is it your kids? some of you are like, "Mm." it's not. Is it your spouse? Others are like, yes, yes, that is true. (laughs) Nope, it's not your spouse. And you may think it's your pastor, but it's not. (laughs) Because the person who has the greatest potential to undermine your happiness is you. I love how Andy Stanley says this. He says, do you know how I know that you have the greatest potential to undermine your own happiness? It's because you bought it, it's because you leased it, you ate it, you drank it, you smoked it, you watched it, you said it, you dated it, (laughs) then you slept with it, and some of you married it, and for the rest of you, you're like, thank goodness there's no more room on that screen. (laughs) Most of us know this is true that we have the greatest potential to undermine our own happiness. But for those of you who gruff at the thought of being the one most responsible for it, I want us to look quickly at this passage in John chapter 10. Now, for this passage to make sense, we need a bit of context. You see, Jesus has just entered into an argument with some local religious leaders, and they're pretty upset with Jesus because he's been teaching people that it's through him and his teachings that people can receive true life, life as God wants it to be. Now, this is unsettling to the religious leaders because they've been under the impression that they have been teaching people what true life with God looks like. So, how can Jesus say that he's offering true life when his teachings are different than theirs? Well, they argue back and forth for a while, and finally Jesus says this. He says, Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, "'Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved.' They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Let's take a second and talk about this passage. Jesus here, he's making a comparison between two different sets of people who both have very different intentions. On one hand, you've got the shepherd. Now the shepherd, he cares about his sheep. He protects them, he feeds them, he keeps track of them. His interest is to care well for these sheep. The idea being that if you are a sheep and you choose to follow the shepherd, then that shepherd will lead you out to where you need to go. He'll give you green pastures, he'll take you to water, places of nourishment, peace, Following the shepherd leads to abundant life. But then in contrast, you have the thief and the robber. And it's interesting because in the original Greek, the words for thief and robber, they're kleptes and lestes. And while thief and robber, they're great translations for these words, they have a slightly bigger range of meaning, especially the word lestes. It means robber or gorilla or highwayman or even insurrectionist. And when you put these two terms together, what it indicates is kind of like a ruffian of sorts. Someone who's not opposed to jumping into a sheep's pen while the shepherds are sleeping and shearing off some fleece for themselves. It could even be like devious shepherds who don't have any qualm at sneaking into a sheep's pen, killing off a couple sheep in order to disadvantage their competitors. The thief and the robber, the kleptes and the lestes, they don't care about the sheep. No, they're there to take advantage of the sheep. And if you end up with them, they don't bring you abundant life. Instead, they want to do harm. They want to steal. They want to kill. They want to destroy. So what Jesus is doing here is he's giving us a contrast between a way of life that leads to what he teaches is flourishing or abundance and a way of life that ultimately ends up ruining things. His claim is that following him leads to life. In fact, it leads to full life, or what the King James Version calls abundant life. And everyone else, all those who have come before him and peddled their way of life, they're just thieves and robbers. And while it might not always be immediately noticeable, their way leads to stealing and killing and destroying. Now there's a little bit of nuance that's easy to miss here because none of the guys that Jesus is talking to are people that we would consider to be ruffians. These aren't despotic rulers. These aren't the crime bosses of the local Jewish mafia in the area. These are men who have dedicated their entire existence to finding and living what they think is the right way before God. To them, and to a lot of people who follow them, the way of life that they're peddling, it makes sense. It seems right. But Jesus is saying, actually, that way, it doesn't lead to life. So don't miss the point here. Jesus is telling these very smart and well-intentioned religious leaders that there are a lot of ways that seem right that we think will lead to the good life but in reality, they simply don't. And if we choose to follow these other ways, instead of the ways that Jesus tells us, we're actually following thieves and robbers who, unlike Jesus, don't care about our abundant life. Instead, they're, they're just to kill and destroy and steal. So in short, there's a way that leads to true, meaningful, and abundant life, but there are a million other ways that claim to give good life but ultimately do the opposite. And do you know who holds the responsibility in either following the way of the thief or the way of Jesus? We do. I know that that's actually a super complicated question and some of you are like, well, what about free will? What about our families of origin? What about questions of providence? But in the end... What it comes down to is that for a lot of us, Jesus is saying, hey, I've come to give you abundant life. And we say back, that's great, but have you seen what the thief is offering us? Doesn't it look so good? Doesn't it look like it makes sense? When it comes to happiness, as humans, we have this horrible tendency To see the good life that Jesus offers. And instead of going for that, we run towards the thief. This is a big part of what the Bible is talking about when it talks about our sin nature. We have this innate tendency to choose the selfish things, the things that don't lead to full life, the things that hurt us and those around us. Which means that we're not only notoriously bad at figuring out what really makes us happy, but when left to our own devices we tend to choose the things that undermine our joy, steal our happiness, kill our relationships, and destroy our future. Now, if you don't believe Jesus about this, maybe you will believe one of the greatest philosophers of our time. Taylor Swift. No one knows better than Taylor Swift how we tend to make choices that we think are good but they end up being destructive. And so I'm going to read to you some lyrics from one of her songs that's an example of how she knows this. She says, oh my gosh, look at that face, you look like, my next mistake, love's a game, you want to play. Any Swifties out there? No? So it's going to be forever or it's going to go down in flames. You can tell me when it's over, if the high was worth the pain. Thank you. Well, um, now that I'm embarrassed, let's, uh, let's think about what she's saying there. She sees a guy that she knows probably is not a guy that leads to anything good, but she thinks that trying to make something happy happen with him will make her happy. She says, maybe the high's worth the pain. She just wants him to be her next mistake. Every time I hear a Taylor Swift song, I just want to say, girl, that is a bad choice. (laughs) But seriously, I bet there are a bunch of us in this room who can relate with Taylor Swift. Whether it's someone that we dated, or buying that fancy car that we couldn't afford, or just choosing to waste too much time scrolling Facebook instead of doing the things that need to get done. There are a million choices we make in our everyday lives where we think we're choosing something that will make us happy only for it to lead to our lives going down in flames. Ridiculousness aside, Jesus is telling us there is a way that leads to abundant life, but there are also a million ways that just want to steal, kill, and destroy The abundant life we can have. And we have a nasty habit of choosing the wrong way. So when it comes to being happy, instead of choosing the way that leads to the abundant life, we tend to choose the things that undermine our joy, that steal our happiness and kill our relationships and destroy our futures. And today, we are talking about one of the most common ways that we undermine our happiness, and that's by confusing these two words, happiness and pleasure. So let's take a few minutes to define our terms here so that we're all on the same page of what I'm trying to communicate. As it turns out, defining happiness, it can be a bit tricky. So like any good millennial, I, when I was working on this message and wanted to figure out a good way of defining happiness, I got on Google and I said, Google, define happiness. <laughs> and you know what Google told me? It said. Happiness, the state of being happy. <laughs> Very helpful, Google, thank you. But that's kind of the problem, isn't it? Defining happiness, it can be tricky. And a lot of us, we might define happiness differently. But for the sake of today's discussion, here's what I mean when I'm talking about happiness. People who are happy have a consistent emotional state that runs in the realm of pleasant contentment to intense joy. This doesn't mean that happy people are never sad or frustrated or angry or that happy people don't experience a wide range of emotions on a daily basis. But happiness, that is, people who are in a state of being happy are those who are regularly experiencing emotions somewhere in the range of pleasantly content to joyful. Their average their normal is to be content glad joyful pleasure on the other hand is how we describe the immediate gratification that comes from some activity so that box shows up on your doorstep from amazon and you open it up and you find that great new leather jacket that you think will make you look so good and all those fall photos on instagram and bang, you feel instantaneously good, you're excited, and that new jacket, just touching it and trying it on is so satisfying. It's enjoyable, exciting, gratifying. That's pleasure. Or you open up that bag of Halloween candy that you just got at Costco and you eat two Kit Kats and an Almond Joy and wow, oh wow, that sugary, chocolatey, wonderful goodness, it feels so good, it tastes amazing, it's enjoyable, it is an instant hit of something that makes you feel great. Or it could even be that you just flop down on your couch after work And you scroll through Instagram, letting interesting image after interesting image release a bump of dopamine into your brain, and it instantly makes you feel good. That's pleasure. It's the immediate gratification that comes from some activity. Now, we've got to be super careful here when we talk about this, because pleasure and happiness, these are both good things that God created for us to be able to experience. Neither one of them is intrinsically bad. The issue is actually all in how we prioritize them. Because prioritizing pleasure can end up ruining happiness. But prioritizing the things that lead to happiness can also lead to pleasure. I want to say that again. Prioritizing pleasure can end up ruining happiness. But prioritizing the things that can lead to happiness... also lead to pleasure. Let's take sex and marriage as an example. If your priority is the long-term health and happiness of your marriage, and you make choices meant to invest in that, then usually you get the pleasure of sex as a part of the pursuit of happy marriage. So investing your effort in the important relational elements of a long-term healthy and happy marriage a lot of times includes and results in Experiencing the pleasure of sex. But if your priority is just the instant gratification of sex without pursuing the things that bring about long-term health and happiness in a relationship, then what you get is a dysfunctional relationship where someone's always feeling used, objectified, insecure, or unfulfilled. And if left unchecked, it can end up ruining your relationship. The pursuit of happiness often leads to pleasure, but the pursuit of pleasure alone often ruins happiness. So let's talk about what's so bad about pursuing pleasureness. Why does prioritizing pleasure tend to ruin our happiness? This is a place where some biblical wisdom really shines through. So let's check out this passage in Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul, he says, Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? This verse comes as a part of a bigger passage where the Apostle Paul was answering this question. He was answering, If Jesus forgives me and saves me by grace, then can't I just keep on living however I want? In fact, if I keep on living however I want... It gives more opportunity for Jesus just to show how graceful and loving and forgiving he truly is. So Paul, he's writing against that question, and his response is basically, no, living however you want is what got you into this problem in the first place. Why, if Jesus has come to deliver you from the power and the consequences of sin, would you run back to it? And that's when he says this phrase, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey? And then he adds to it, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. His point is simple. We become captive to the things that we offer ourselves to. Some of those things lead to death. And some of them lead to life as God wants it for us. You see, pleasure, it tends to keep us captive because it has this one glaring problem. Pleasure only provides temporary relief. Whether we find ourselves stressed or unhappy or whatever non-happy condition we find ourselves in, when we use pleasure as a way to help us feel better, we get a short bump of relief. But then it doesn't last. So, we either get more stressed or unhappy or frustrated because the thing we thought would help didn't, or when the quick relief of pleasure wraps up, we end up running back to that thing over and over because we need to increase the frequency of our pleasure To make up for the fact that it doesn't last very long. And over time, this pursuit of pleasure can lead to a cycle where the thing that provides the pleasure actually takes us captive. Because when you choose to do something over and over again, you give up control and you become a slave to that thing. Like Paul said, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slave, you're the slave of the one you obey? And unfortunately, many, not all, but many of the things that provide pleasure also come with happiness-ruining side effects. Compulsive shopping leads to debt. Junk food leads to diminished health. Pornography ruins relationships binge watching TV keeps us from so many other things that are good for us. And social media, it burns all of our time and can leave us feeling numb. Now let's try and tie this all back together. If you offer yourself to something, you can end up being taken captive by it. The problem is, when we offer ourselves to things that kill and destroy and steal, like the thief rather than to the one who gives true and abundant life. Again, like Paul said, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, your slaves are the one you obey? And one of the main ways we unknowingly and sometimes accidentally give ourselves over to things that kill and destroy and steal is when we confuse happiness with pleasure. When we offer ourselves to pleasure, it can take us captive and it can undermine our happiness. Now, today's topic, it is essential as we move forward with the sermon series, being able to recognize the difference between happiness and pleasure. It's one of the keys to having joy. And even if we end up getting a lot of the other things right that we're going to talk about in this series if we continue to confuse happiness and pleasure, it will continue to undermine our efforts at finding joy. So today, as we close, I want to ask you three questions. You're going to have a chance to talk about these three questions in your growth groups this week, but take a minute right now and be brutally honest with yourself. Is there a pleasure that's undermining your happiness? Is there a pleasure that if you continue to say yes to, it will ruin the happiness of the people you love? Is there a pleasure that is slowly taking you prisoner? If so, let me encourage you to confess that to God. Ask Him to help you. And also, confess it to another Christian that you trust and who you want to walk with you as you work to be free of that captivity. If you don't feel like you have another Christian that you can confess this to, I'd encourage you to write it down on your connection card so that one of us on staff can follow up with you this week. Because church, happy people recognize the difference between happiness and pleasure. And those who don't often find themselves being taken captive by pleasure and ruining their long-term happiness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you have offered us life. That through you, we can understand what abundant life is supposed to look like. That through you, we can find contentment even in challenging circumstances. That through you, we can be forgiven all of the things we've done in our past. Jesus, thank you. Help us as we go forward recognize the difference between pleasure that takes us captive and the way of life that you teach us. Lord, give us boldness to confess our sin so that we can engage in the types of relationships that help us follow you more faithfully. God, we pray all of this your name. Amen.